If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm George Affleck filling in for Mike Smith this week and next week. I hope you're having a great day. So let's get to it. i got a full show today, but let's get going here. It's been a week, a uh, big week in, on uh, the COVID front in BC. Cases have been steadily climbing, and yesterday there were 185 new infections. More than half of those cases are in the interior, and an outbreak has been declared in central Okanagan. The pandemic has changed, though. COVID is mostly circulating in the unvaccinated and those areas of the province that uh, have lower vaccination rates, and they're mostly at risk. How do we get those final people to get the jab? And will the Vax for BC campaign be enough? I am now joined by Dr. Bonnie Henry, our provincial health officer. Good morning, Dr. Henry. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. Focusing on getting tough on a specific region like you're doing in central Okanagan to deal with this outbreak is, is kind of a new approach. Why, why now? Well, we're in a different place now around the province, and and that's because we have these really effective vaccines. And most people in BC have stepped up and got their their shot, at least their first shot. And now uh, we're into you know sixty five or so percent of people have two shots when they're fully protected. So that's that's great. Um, but we do know that in that we have pockets where uh, there are still people who are not yet. Um, immunized or fully immunized and that's what happened we saw in the central Okanagan that mm-hmm. we started to see um, quite a lot of spread in the community so we need to take some measures to reduce that spread so we don't get spillover into people who are more likely to get more severe illness until we can raise those vaccine levels again. The logistics of this may not be easy though and many people are actually asking for more clear and specific approaches like you know vaccine passports or tougher rules for non-vaccinated people like we're seeing in places like France. You said uh, let the businesses decide if they want to mandate vaccine requirements or or mask wearing but how do how, how can they police that? I know my daughter who works in a retail store you know she's they have a mask mandate uh, but it, you know it's not easy for her to, to enforce that. How do we how how can they police this themselves, these businesses? Yeah, so this is really about our own um, personal behavior and respect for others. And uh, we know that uh, that when we have increased rates in the community, those additional measures like mask wearing become more and more important. And that's why where we've had this uh, increase in, in transmission in the central Okanagan, um, the local MHO has put in place uh, a mask mandate for those areas because it becomes that much more important. For the rest of us, it is something that we should be doing. It's a strong recommendation that we have. And it, it is something that I know most people are being respectful and, and doing to protect ourselves, but more importantly, to protect those who are working in those situations. And and yes, it, it is, um, you know, it's not something that's easy to enforce in any way, but it is one of those things that, that we do um, as a community together to protect people. 
Specifically, though, you know, vac- vaccination, vaccines, vaccinations being mandated. Let's get into that. For example, this might be a good idea for you know bars and nightclubs uh, because transmission rates are very high, uh, and you can see a mask, but you can't see a vaccine. So why not mandate it uh, and assist an industry that? Uh, with how to police it like a passport. Why not do that? Why not say, okay, you know, the industries that are really, really having a challenge here, let's mandate vaccinations, give them a passport structure and help them police it. You know, I don't think that's my role as a public health physician to to mandate things like that. What we need to do is for industry to say, for those um, places where um, where it is an issue for them, to say we are only allowing people in who can show that they've been immunized. But it, it is it is again one of those things where we need to give everybody the opportunity to get vaccinated. We need to encourage people and um, businesses to. Be encouraging their employees to go out and get immunized, and and yes, we should be asking those questions. And it is one of those things that we need to do together again. Um, you, you know, um, we should we cannot be denying people essential services because of uh, immunization. There's some reasons why some people are not able. Well, a small number of mm-hmm. people are not able to be immunized, uh, but I think it is. Uh, up to a local, if you're having a, a festival or a concert, you can require people to be immunized or to have some proof that they're not infected with COVID. Okay. Well, I think they're going to be challenged, and I think the province looks to you mm-hmm. for, for, for guidance on this, and they may make the decisions now, but I think they're looking for guidance. But, you know, you know moving on, the reviews uh, are still coming in, but many people are saying BC and your team have done a great job managing this pandemic over the last year. Uh, and until now, you've mostly mandated sort of province-wide regulations, and our current healthcare system doesn't really allow, uh, you know, to have, uh, you know, a national mandate. But do you think we could have benefited from a national, you know, mandate if we'd had a nationwide approach first, instead of leaving it to the provinces, and then we might not have seen the differences in each province, and the pandemic might have been better, you know, managed uh, in the early days. Yeah, you know, that's a a really good question, which is um, always our challenge in a confederation like Mm -hmm. we have, uh, where healthcare is a a provincial responsibility. Um, I think we did have good coordination with uh, at least my and my colleagues across the country, but uh, there is different approaches in different provinces, and and you're right, um, it has worked more or less well in, in different places. But I also will say that, you know, we're a large country with a very diverse population and spread out in both geographically and demographically quite different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we experience the pandemic quite differently. Um, some of that is because of the way we responded and some of that's because of how the virus spread and and the timing of, of the spread. So it, it's really hard to go back and, and say um, what I would say is I think we've learned there are some things that we really need to, to do better as a country. And um, one of the very basic ones is having an information system that mm-hmm. allows us to collect and share data in a much mm-hmm. more efficient way. Um, that's been a challenge for us for a long time, and uh, it was revealed again um, in this case 
uh, with this pandemic too. Yeah, that's a challenge in, in the healthcare sector in general. I think some have mm-hmm. better information flowing than others across the country. Doing what you do is a bit of a balancing act. I mean, people are emotional; mm-hmm. they can be unpredictable. You know, we see it already that people are not happy about you tightening up the rules in Central Okanagan. How do you know, you know, when to push hard and when to pull back on the rules? And I know the science is a key for that, for, and, and uh, you've, you've been doing this for many years. But how does instinct? play in what you do because you've been doing this for so long? (laughs) That's a very good question. And you're absolutely right. It is a balancing act. And uh, sometimes it feels like (laughs) we're very much on a tightrope and being Mm -hmm. pulled in very many different directions. Um, The the principles that we try and use are to do just enough um, to, to try and keep this in check um, prevent the transmission to people who are more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And we really go back to the goals of our pandemic response, which is to prevent people from getting sick and dying, um, to protect our health care system, and uh, to, to minimize the disruption to our society. And early on, when we shut everything down, the disruption to society was very harmful because that harms health as well. And things like closing schools were really, really hard on families, on communities, on children. So we we have tried to find that balance. And we look at the central Okanagan and... Yes, we expected to see cases increase a little bit when we went to step three and we knew that people were moving around more. But we had such high levels of immunization, we know that that's protective and it's Mm -hmm. working in most places in the province. But where we have pockets where there's still a lot of people who are unimmunized and the virus can take hold. And the new variants that we have are more transmissible, which means that you can get explosive growth. And that's what's happened in, in the central Okanagan. So we put in some very um, basic things, to, to, and I expect that's coming together, stopping the transmission, getting more people immunized. And we'll be able to, to stop that uh, rapid growth very quickly. How frustrated are you when you, you, when you put so much effort into your job? And you still can't people to take to get the jab. Like, that must be so frustrating. Well, you, you know, I also look at it the other way around. When have we ever had 80, 81% of yeah. people uh, do the right thing and get out there and do it? And now we have to really um, um, change our, our approach and, and reach those people who have not yet, one, had access. And we hear from people that mm-hmm. there's still a challenge and especially in smaller communities, more rural communities where there's not clinics every day. We know that um, people still have questions about the vaccines. And, and that's one area that um, we are learning more and more. And it, now we have millions of people here in BC, but uh, millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions around the world. So we know so much more about how well these vaccines work and how safe they are. So those are the messages we need to get out to people in the language that they um, they can hear it. Um, and so that's what we're doing now with our Vax uh, for BC mm-hmm. campaign. You know, getting out there, answering people's questions, making it easy for them to get the vaccine. And, and everybody now, it's it, this is your time. Uh, we know that uh, there's going to be more travel, more people coming in the next few weeks. And we really um, want to make sure that we're doing the best to protect everybody. Because we know the vaccine now is not just for yeah. me, because it does protect me. And we know it works really, really well. 
But it also it means that this virus isn't going to spread in our community. That means we can get back to doing those things that we love. You have a unique style of leadership. You seem empathetic when when the public sees you. Where does that empathy come from, and how do you how do you maintain that empathy, and how do you you know how do you keep yourself going there? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I am I am very much an empath. I guess um, it, you know it really is from understanding that in in a crisis. There are many ways that people react, and I've been through some really tra- traumatizing experiences from uh, in the past where we've dealt with Ebola and uh, outbreaks that um, have affected people. Uh, and you realize that it is recognizing that we are in this together. We all have a different story. We all have a different experience, and we think about these last 18 months. Um, we don't always know the, the the background that people have had, whether they've had a person who's been sick with COVID, whether they've lost a family member. And it all colors our approach to where we are now. And I think having that understanding that everybody's story is a little bit different and that when they're reacting, it may be because of the fear or the mm-hmm. um, the anger or their past experience and, and trying to stay positive because we really are making a difference here and we just need to support each other to get through this part of it too. Dr. Bonnie Henry, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. George Affleck in for Mike Smith this week and next week. So I hope you're enjoying the day. I want to remind you to always feel free to call our buzz line throughout the show at 604-331-2899, 604-331-2899 with your thoughts on any interviews we do, or your thoughts in general, your opinions. Always love to hear from you, and then we run a selection of them at the end of the show. You can also follow me on Twitter, George underscore Affleck. Uh, You can always email me, too, if you want to send me some questions or notes or thoughts. I'm always happy to hear from you, george at cknw.com. So there are 248 fires burning right now uh, in this province, and we've seen evacuations, smoke, and even an entire village burn to the ground. Sometimes the problems can seem overwhelming, but today a beloved BC restaurant the BC government and the federal government are doing something about it. Here to tell us more about this is Warren Earhart, the president of White Spot Restaurants. Hey, Warren. Hey, George. How are you? Good, good. Tell me about this. What is this fundraiser? What's going on here? Well, I tell you, you know, George, we've, uh, you know, sort of in days of Matt Bailey on, we're just always trying to be very community orientated. In the past, we have had uh, fires both in British Columbia and even our, our neighbors at Fort McMurray. And mm-hmm. at that time, we we put together um, a bit of a initiative that we could, uh, you know, pick a pick a day that we would actually make a donation to the the folks that need the help. And, and uh, you know, obviously with what's going on in the province, you mentioned the number of fires that are burning. Um, getting uh, having conversations with some of our great partners, our franchisees, and talking to folks at Chevron and BC Ferries and others, and said, what what can we do to help? Mm-hmm. And um, it was, why don't we just uh, bring back what we've done in the past? And that was find a day that we can make a donation. And so today's the day. That's, I totally forgot with the ferries. You have, how many locations do you have then, all told, across the province? Well, we have 96 White Spot and Triple O's locations throughout British Columbia. Every one of the restaurants that we have are participating, right. corporate and, and franchise. And 11 BC ferries are also offering today uh, the $2 from every burger sold. Okay, so it's it's only for today. It's two bucks a burger. Is that what it is? So that's right. Any burger at a White Spot or a Triple O's or on BC Ferries that that uh, that's got uh, Triple O's burgers on the ferries uh, will be two dollars. And and the good thing is that the governments, both the federal and the provincial governors, are matching. 
So the $2 turns into a $6 uh, donation yeah. uh, pretty quickly. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can raise some well-needed funds uh, for folks in British Columbia. How many burgers do you sell a day right now on average? Well, I can tell you, we're, we're, we're hoping that we could raise uh, $150,000 today with this initiative. So that's our target internally, and hopefully we can we can do that uh, through the matching donations. And, uh, yeah, we'll wait and see what happens. So that's like 30,000 so, like 30, burgers. Is that all right? Uh, yeah, somewhere around you know, twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 burgers. That that's would be of, great. I mean, if you can lot, do that. That's a lot of burgers. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. So, this, and this includes eating in, takeout, delivery, all, all aspects. That's right, yeah. So, if you, you came to one of our restaurants, Triple O's and White Spot, or you had takeout from one of our restaurants mm-hmm. as well, um, it would be offered that way as well. So, the discounts would be both on dine in and uh, to go orders like takeout as well. Why? I mean, you talked about this at the top, but for White Spot, who's been, you know, all of us who grew up here, you know, White Spot's a part of our community for sure. How important is that uh, as, as a philosophy and a, and a belief for White Spot, you know, since the beginning? Do you know, uh, you know, Nat Bailey in, in sort of the DNA of our brand has always been, you know, to giving back and being philanthropic that way as well. And, and the, you know, the Toygo family today continues with that as well. So it's, it's, uh, we think it's really critical. I think that we're, you know, this is our neighborhood. This is how, you know, we, 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 we feel about giving back. And we know a lot of organizations can and don't, but we always do. And I think that that's an important piece that we can um, help out others. We're very fortunate. We believe in, and everything from shopping as much local as we can and supporting local uh, farmers and, and uh, manufacturers whenever possible. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody buys more local products than White Spot when it comes to our full-service restaurants. And, uh, and so we, we just think it's part of our sort of DNA that we are uh, we're very proudly uh, British Columbian and if we can support people in our communities. We think that's really, really important. All right, Warren. So our challenge for our listeners today and anybody across the province is go order a burger from White Spot. Absolutely. And let's yeah, get have any any type of burger. It could be a beef burger, chicken burger. Uh, we've got a lamb burger, and, and we're testing or featuring right now in our full service restaurants. Any burger that you order, uh, we'd we'd love to make that donation on your behalf. And again, the donations and that funds go to. Well, so I actually going to the Canadian Red Cross, and, and we're you know, using their good judgment of where the best money to be to be spent. Cool. And then the federal government and the provincial government matching this—that's a big deal. That must be hard to negotiate. Actually, I'm thinking that. How did no. you negotiate well, no, that? I, they're, they're sort of made, made the the the, uh, the uh, commitment that they're going to help the uh, the the fire relief with that as well. So we thought our timing to do this would be perfect to sort of tie into that. All right. So two bucks, two bucks, two bucks. That's six bucks. Order a burger from uh, White Spot, and we're we're done. We get some cash for the for the firefighters for the fire the relief. That's right, George. Thank you, and thanks for the uh, the opportunity of, of spreading the word. Welcome back, welcome back. I'm George Affleck filling in for Mike Smith this week and next week. Hope you're enjoying your day. I want to remind you: feel free to call our buzz line throughout the show 604-331-2899, 604-331-2899. And this hour and the second half of the hour, we'll be talking about uh, working from home and then some new data showing that people really uh, like this idea. So we'll hear more about that. We'll also go to the Olympics and hear some of the news from the Olympics. But first, we want to talk a bit about uh, more about COVID. The COVID nineteen 
vaccines are very effective, but not 100% effective. There are what are known as breakthrough cases. Here in BC, less than 5% of COVID cases are in people who are fully vaccinated. So that number is not zero. Uh, What determines whether or not you are at risk is still getting COVID once vaccinated. Why is this happening? And is it a sign that some people need booster shots? To talk about this and more, we're joined by microbiologist Jason Tetro. Hey, Jason. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for joining me. So 5%, you know, the, is this a standard number of how many people are, who are fully vaccinated we're seeing, you know, globally? Is this a, is this a normal number? Uh, it's actually pretty low. Is um, it? I mean, yeah, well, remember how when we talk about flu vaccine, we talk about like 60% being, you know, a good number for efficiency and effectiveness. <laughs> and that means there's 40% that, you know, aren't really getting anything. In some years, we've had like 10% effectiveness. So this mm-hmm. whole idea of having 5% breakthrough, while I understand people are scared about COVID based on the last 18 months, I mean, the vaccine's doing a pretty good job. That's that's good news, but mm-hmm. I think that still makes people go, "Oh, come on, you know, like why aren't we at a hundred percent?" And it makes people a little bit skeptical still. Right, and I mean, everybody's got a different immune system for mm-hmm. one, and and secondly, you have to realize one thing: there are two stages of infection. The first one, which I'll get to in a second, mm-hmm. is the one where we're getting the breakthrough. The second one, which is the one that leads to serious infection and then hospitalization and so on, is incredibly low. I mean, we're talking about less than 1% are progressing to that if you've had two vaccine doses. Mm -hmm. Now, the first part is really just a race, okay? So the virus gets into you and it's going to start making a number of viruses. That happens no matter how well protected you might be. The antibodies then show up and say, "Mm -mm, not going to happen. And then it's just basically a matter of numbers. Who has the higher level of numbers? Is it the antibodies or is it the virus? Now, with alpha, beta, gamma, and and the original lineage, the antibodies would win out. But with delta, it actually produces about a thousand times more virus in the same amount of time. So it can actually get past the antibodies to start developing uh, symptoms that feel like, you know, either a mild flu or a common cold. And of course, you can spread that over to someone who's unvaccinated. So what essentially we're looking at is in a very small percentage of cases, we're, those people are not making enough antibodies to be able to stop Delta. Can those people get sicker even if they're vaccinated because they are vulnerable, that they, they are that 5%? Is it possible that they, because their body's reacting that way, they may actually get sicker than they would have So what we've seen from the breakthrough cases in many other places, uh, Israel and and the UK and stuff, is that, no, you're not getting sicker. It's actually not more virulent, as we like to say. That being said, if your secondary response, your T-cell response, isn't all that effective, and that actually um, can be a factor of genetics or it can be a Mm -hmm. factor of age. People over the age of 65 are going to have less of an ability to fight with the T-cell response than it may progress. And even then, we're seeing such a low level of that happening that, you know, it would have to be a really strong infection in order for it to get past that T-cell response. Can you test how protected you are? Does it have to be a DNA test to to figure out what's working Mm -hmm. and what, you know, how do you test how protected you are once you've had the vaccine? Well, I mean, you can do the antibody test, which is one thing. And we're hearing this coming out and, you know, this is where you're hearing about the waning immunity after six months, et cetera, et cetera. But you can also do, you can also test the T-cell response. It's a bit more of an in-depth test that Mm -hmm. goes on. Most people are not going to get that. Uh, but, But I think right now what we're 
we're seeing is the ability to identify what we call markers. So things that you have in your blood that we can detect that are going to give us predictive value as to whether or not you may suffer a breakthrough. It will also help us down the road because it may allow us to identify individuals who may need that third booster. Of course, the elderly, the frail, they're going to want probably need that. But maybe there are some people who are under the age of, you know, 65 who mm -hmm. probably could use with a third one as well. And the, the head of Pfizer came out actually saying that there's, you know, the, the COVID case or uh, the immunity uh, or the success rate or the, mm -hmm. is going down after six months. And this was actually a surprise, but, you know, Pfizer seems to get themselves in trouble. They seem to announce this stuff without CDC's approval. I'm not sure if yeah. they renew, but this was a pressery held yesterday saying, you know, you're not, you're mm -hmm. not, six months later, you're not as good a shape. Is that surprising or is that, was that done properly or what does that oh, do? Oh, yeah. No. So there are two things that you have to think about here. The first one is... Uh, are the antibodies enough? And in that light, we're probably seeing a little bit of waning in the antibody levels, but that happens with any vaccine. So I don't think you should really be afraid of that. Okay. Where it's really coming into play is, how do you define what COVID is? You see, in the latest Israeli studies, they think a fever is enough to be able to say that you've got symptomatic COVID as long as you've tested positive. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have COVID because we know that there's a number of other symptoms that you should be exhibiting. They've ignored those or they've said and or, you know, that and slash or. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a recent article from another journal, they actually take all those others into effect and you're still at the 84 to 88%. So we're seeing a little bit of a playing around with certain factors so that, you know, the numbers may not necessarily seem as good. But the one thing I think everybody who's listening here should realize, it's over 80%, which still is really still good. 20% better than the best flu vaccine we got out there. And we also don't know what's, what we're seeing with the vaccine is that even if you do get sick, you don't get as sick potentially. So you get those two it, numbers to think about. Yeah, exactly. So you may end up with sniffles, coughs, cold. You might even, you know, lose your taste for a little bit, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up going to a hospital. Absolutely. So, so that brings me to my question about herd immunity. Um, you know, what's, mm -hmm. you know, with an imperfect vaccine, which, you know, you're saying this is <clears throat> pretty perfect, pretty close to perfect, comparatively speaking. Yeah. Uh, but even then, how, you know, what does that mean for herd immunity, especially when you see that decline after six months? What does that mean? Yeah, so this is where you get into this idea of a shopping mall where you have a lot of individuals in that shopping mall. Mm -hmm. And let's just say that you have 85% of them who have got vaccination, okay? Mm -hmm. And then you've got 15% who are unvaccinated. Now, if those 15% who are unvaccinated are just wandering through the mall like everybody else, okay, then there's very low likelihood that it's going to spread. And even if there's this 5% breakthrough, that may only come down to like, you know, 80% of people who are um, protected. It's still not going to lead to any kind of outbreak. Now, of course, if all those people who are unvaccinated are really hungry and end up going to the food court, well, you got a bit of a problem. And that's when the people who are suffering from breakthroughs may end up being um, infected. And that's where we see a problem. So at this point, it's really about preventing the grouping of susceptibles, people who are unvaccinated, mm -hmm. so that we can make sure that even those breakthrough cases don't come through. So that decision we had here for the Okanagan to kind of say, okay, things, there's a spike, you got to separate two people again, so get you away yeah. from each other, because you're making... Well, well, sick. Yeah. And remember, it's not just Delta because up in the Yukon, they had the best record of all when it came to vaccination. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then they had a massive outbreak over a hundred cases and it was gamma. It wasn't Delta. It was gamma. Oh, boy. All because of one house party. <sighs> 
the UK we're seeing massive spikes. Uh, how yeah. is that different? You know, from when they saw spikes, and they're they're all worried. They're all they're, they've gone into their you know full on. They're wide open now, but people are questioning that mm-hmm. decision. But the numbers of people in the hospital, how does it how's it comparatively speaking? How does it compare pre pre vaccine and and post vaccine in in the UK? Well, I mean. Ob- yeah, the, the numbers are still relatively low in comparison to uh, pre-vaccine. Mm-hmm. But you also have to realize something that, again, when you don't have a large enough population vaccinated, especially with the two doses, and they focus mainly on AstraZeneca, which, of course, is a, um, a you know, it's a little bit different in terms of its efficacy against uh, the virus, then you may end up having a higher number of people getting more serious infection and hospitalization. That doesn't necessarily mean the vaccine's not working. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's not enough people who are getting the vaccine to be able to achieve that herd immunity like in the shopping mall I just brought up. George Affleck uh, in for Mike Smith and Jason Tretro is staying with me here to talk about, uh, uh, take your questions. So what do you want to know about COVID vaccines and breakthrough cases? Hey, Jason, earlier in the show, we had a guest or, or caller, uh, a listener who was asking about people who had COVID, who had COVID, do they really need mm-hmm. to get the jab? And she had gotten very sick from COVID and now doesn't want to get vaccinated. And what does mm-hmm. the science tell her on that? Well, the the antibodies that you get from the lineage that you uh, essentially were infected with is you're going to have protection against that. So if you got it early on and you probably had the original lineage, then you probably have protection against that. It's not going to protect you against alpha, beta, gamma, delta or any other. And then that can come in and that will cause you to be sick again. Now, here's where the problem is, is if you don't get vaccinated to alter your antibodies then what could happen is that that second infection could be actually be worse than the first mm. one. It's called enhancement. And um, okay, I so mean, definitely it's, get it's the vaccine. Bad. Get the vaccine is the recommendation. Yeah, All right, we're taking your call 604 280 9898. 604 280 9898. Star 9898. And yourself, Susan from Surrey. You've got a question for Jason. Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Um, the chief uh, medical officer in Alberta just recently announced that if you have COVID, you won't have to have to isolate in anymore. So I'd like mm-hmm. your comment on that. Yeah. And Jason, is there a reason, they do PCR tests at, um, mm-hmm. at airports, is there a reason why they can't vaccinate at an airport too? I mean, everybody's got to, globally, we have to get vaccinated. So I just wondered if there's a reason they don't do that. I know it's mm-hmm. not, I know it's federal jurisdiction, not provincial. So can you mm-hmm. comment on that as well? Thanks, Susan. Go ahead. Yeah, Susan. Uh, yeah sure. Um, so we'll do the vaccine one first. Mm-hmm. Uh, vaccine brings up rights and there's a whole bunch of legalities that are unfortunately involved in that. So it makes it very difficult. Uh, there are other places around the world where you actually can get vaccinated as you're coming into the uh, to the airport. But here in Canada, we, we're, we're just not doing that. Uh, as for what Dr. Hinshaw here um, has said, what they want to do now now is they want to treat COVID like the flu. Um, and so as a result of that, they're going to essentially um, put away all the COVID uh, information that we've been using as of August 16th. And essentially, if you've got COVID, well, it's just like you got the flu. They're assuming you will have been vaccinated twice by that point. Hmm. Okay, thanks. I hope that helped, Susan. Jill from uh, Maple Ridge, go ahead. I have a, uh, I've got CTNW on the line. Jill, Jill, you're you're actually live. Go ahead, Jill. You got a question? (laughs) Okay, Jill, you got to turn your radio down. All right, well, we'll, Jill, call back. We're going to go to Robert uh, in from Watkin County, actually, from the states. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah, hi. Um, Hope you're all having a good day. Hey, listen, it's all about the uh, the mantra. Seems to be uh, science, science, science. 
But I don't think anybody can understand what the science is if it's virtually one quarter, one percent for fully vaccinated people to be uh, contaminated by this virus. So why are the people in the Okanagan, and it's actually happened here in Washington State as well yesterday, um, asked, or in your case, required to wear a mask to protect unvaccinated people? I mean, it's like the smart people are protecting the dumb people, but the dumb people still won't get vaccinated. Well, I think government tries to be uh, agnostic when it comes to people and say everybody's the same. But uh, Jason, you want to weigh in there? Yeah, um, I mean, at the end of the day, you are right. The good, you know, people who follow and adhere to uh, the restrictions are going to do that. Those who choose not to, uh, whether it be vaccination or masking, are going to choose to do that as well. And it definitely may seem like a two-tier society. Hmm. But I do like to believe that the more that we can uh, prevent the spread of this, the more that we're going to be able to protect the unvaccinated who are not doing it by choice, but simply because there's no vaccine for them. And of course, I'm talking about kids on the age of 12. Cool. No, we're taking thanks. Thanks for that call. Uh, 604-280-9898. 604-280-9898. If you want to weigh in and ask Jason a question, Bra- Rob from Chilliwack, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, George. Uh, Jason, quick question for you. I'm just wondering, um, we all heard, you know, like from Bonnie Henry, from doctors around the world, uh, the flu season in 2020 was so low and into 2021, uh, mm-hmm. all because we all wore masks. <laughs> But what I don't understand is why did COVID rate, why did it still spread then if we all were wearing masks? Hmm, that's Well, it's a good question, Jason. I mean, I think we weren't all wearing masks and there's also other aspects of COVID that uh, you can get infected. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it really comes down to the fact that whenever you have a virus, the only way that it infects you is if a certain amount gets inside of you. It's called the minimal infective dose. Now, for the flu, and I've studied this, it's about a thousand, okay? So you actually have to come into contact, breathe in about a thousand of those viruses to actually get sick. And it also has to go way down into the lower part of your lungs. That's why masks work. You're just not going to get that thousand into your lungs. For COVID, it's in the nose, right? So if you were wearing a mask improperly, especially the people who had the nose sticking out, yeah, um, you, you were still at risk. And I think that's how COVID managed to spread. What's really interesting is that even though we were able to stop flu, we didn't stop rhinovirus. We still had a rhinovirus season just like every other, even though we were wearing masks. And rhinovirus is a heck of a lot more contagious than even COVID. And rhinovirus mean a cold. Is that what that is? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Common cold. Yeah. <laughs> just for those of us who aren't scientists, you know. All right. <laughs> well, we're out of time. Jason, thanks very much for uh, for joining me. Sorry for those people who couldn't get through, but Jason, uh, thanks very much for being here today. Hey, no problem at all. Take care. George Affleck in for Mike Smith today and tomorrow and all next week. Hope you're enjoying your day and that uh, the sun is shining and we're having a good time on a Thursday. So on Tuesday, Dr. Bonnie Henry made an interesting comment about how businesses like nightclubs might want to only look at letting vaccinated patrons in. Here in BC, we have no vaccine passport system and no plans, as far as I can tell, to implement one. Here's Dr. Henry on that. We've had a couple of outbreaks um, in nightclubs where unvaccinated people. And, you know, if I was running a nightclub, I want to make sure that my staff are protected. And yes, we absolutely can say to come in here, you have to be immunized. There's been indoor settings um, where people are gathering and unvaccinated people introduce the virus. Dr. Henry joined me earlier on the show and she had this to say about the rules for nightclubs when I asked. 
You know, I don't think that's my role as a public health physician to, to mandate things like that. What we need to do is for industry to say, for those um, places where um, where it is an issue for them, to say we are only allowing people in who can show that they've been immunized. But it, it, is, it is, again, one of those things where we need to give everybody the opportunity to get vaccinated. We need to encourage people and um, businesses to be encouraging their employees to go out and get immunized and and yes we should be asking those questions so what's the industry going to do and what do they think about this are, are any of the nightclubs looking at doing this or looking at or wanting uh, the province to get tougher um, I'm now I'm joined now by Jeff Guinard he's the executive director of able BC BC's Alliance of beverage licenses hey Jeff how you doing Good. So there's moved by Dr. Henry to get more strict in the central Okanagan area, which is a more specific, more localized approach. Um, uh, but for now, she's not, you know, she's leaving the rules and the policing and all that stuff to you guys and to the bar owners and the club owners. Is that is that a good thing? Is that a good idea? Well, it's more complicated as usual with these things, right? And I would mm-hmm. say, first off, if, if Dr. Henry were to order us to do something like that, of course we would, and we would have her back as we always have. But I think we should start with the first, the real issue here mm-hmm. is that an insufficient number of British Columbians uh, are being vaccinated. Like, although we've got a very high rate of vaccination in this province, there are still some people in a, a certain segment of the audience that does seem to be younger that are not getting vaccinated. So it's not really about which business that they go in. It's about the individuals themselves. They take the responsibility to go get vaccinated. And I, I understand some people have some health concerns or are being exempt from it, but from a lot of them, folks, it's just that they, they haven't done it yet. And I think we should be targeting our efforts at that as opposed to signaling out businesses and putting a burden on them uh, to, to ask people to get vaccinated. And you have to remember the other thing. The only thing we have to go on is the vaccination card itself, mm-hmm. which, you know, you and most of the listeners have seen that now. You could print one at home on an inkjet and fill it out with pen, right? So I'm not yeah. really sure we'd be actually increasing compliance at all. We would just end up with a bunch of awkward interactions at our, at our doors when people are, are, are angry that we're not letting them in. Assuming eventually we get some kind of app that's easy to use. There is the app that exists, but it's so complicated and you can't really use it as an identification of your process. You have to go to the website. It's all super complicated. It doesn't work. Uh, but if we get yeah. an app that has a simple identif- identification process that shows you had your VAX, um, would that be helpful? Well, it's not a bad idea, except we have to double-check with BC's Privacy Commissioner if that's allowed, because we are not legally allowed to ask our employees Mm -hmm. if they have been vaccinated. We can ask them to voluntarily declare it, but as soon as I ask that and seek proof of it and I keep a record of it, I'm suddenly keeping confidential health information in my business, right? which is is something that um, we're not really legally allowed to do. So although we can we can enforce a general code of conduct, and it is certainly our expectation that if you're coming out, you're symptom-free and you're vaccinated, uh, it's it's not really the role of an industry uh, or the nightclubs in particular um, to, to police something like that. And, you know, if you look at the bars in uh, the Bar Watch program in, in Vancouver, we mm-hmm. do have a system that already scans people's IDs, and mm-hmm. uh, we have some ways of doing that, so we could easily integrate it, but it, it requires a bit of work. And at the end of the day, I, I don't know if this is really the right solution when the problem what we're really having here is some folks are not vaccinated yet, and targeting our efforts at that segment of the population seems like it's it's a lot more effective uh, and, and a lot better, you know, for, for the businesses themselves. That you know, you're putting us into an awkward spot where we don't we don't have the the technology or the resources right now to ensure that people's vaccines um, cards are actually valid. 
the ball seems to get punted around uh, between the provincial government and uh, Dr. Henry said, well, it's not my decision. That's not my thing. And then you're saying, well, you know, we've got to do this. It's like nobody seems to want to go, okay, here's where we stand. This is what we need to do to solve this problem. And if it's, yeah, sure, okay, we have to vaccinate people. But if for the time being, for the safe, for the success of your membership who are desperate to get back to being reopened in a full way and just have like, let's get going here. Uh, when you yep. see these um, now micro closures or micro, you know, localized approach where this could be popping up anywhere, it makes mm-hmm. a very unstable business environment. So well, it, it certainly does, right? Mm-hmm. But remember, we're we're in stage three. We're not done with the pandemic yet, right? I know it feels like it sometimes, but mm-hmm. we've been very clear to members that this is still um, a global pandemic, and although we're going in the right direction, it's, this is going to happen, right? As people move around more. We're going to see some cases, and that's why they're under a mask order in Kelowna right now. Um, but we're also, the case count is still significantly lower than we were at the peak. We're still going in the right direction with this. The thing that has worked really well in our favor, though, is if you think of the entire pandemic, there have been very few cases coming from the hospitality sector because they've always had the right protocols in place. We have 18 months of experience with this now. We're very good at it. And, you know, we're very happy to, you know, what our members in, in the you know, Kelowna area, for example, are doing. Uh, folks are returning to physical distance as well, right? Mm-hmm. And folks are ensuring um, that we're, we're limiting the group sizes again because we want to make sure that we're we're not a source of infection and it's, it's the right thing to do. And nightclub members are also going above and beyond the protocols. I mean, we're allowed to have people go up to the bar, but we're not doing that because then we have people from multiple tables mingling at a bar and hanging out there, right? And it becomes difficult to control. Uh, it's I think we can handle this from our perspective, at least, with the right protocols in place, the same way we did without the vaccine, and then really encourage people to get vaccinated. And I, I will say that if, if the provincial government wants uh, folks to, to show their vaccine um, you know, status before they go in, they, they need to order people to do that. And Dr. Henry, throughout the entire pandemic, has been very nervous about mm-hmm. doing that. And they said, you know, vaccines are not equally distributed, and she has concerns with that. So it's, it's a bit strange to be saying now that we should do that. Um, but at the end of the day, and I, I can tell you, there are some businesses out there that um, their biggest concern is, is their customers and their staff. And we have some staff that are very nervous about customers coming in who might not be vaccinated. Right. So the right thing to do is really, if, if you haven't been vaccinated yet, what in the world are you waiting for? Just go out there and get it done. It is safe and it is effective. And it takes this conversation away because part of my concern here is that we're ending up talking about the wrong solution. We're saying we should have a you know proof that you're vaccinated. Well, in a month or two, everyone should be vaccinated anyway. So I don't really know why we'd spend a large amount of money and time on a solution that's that's not really the right one. Um, but you know, having said that, if that's what Dr. Henry needs, of course we're going to have her back. Well, she doesn't. Do uh, she seems to be you know not wanting to do that approach. And and I'm wondering yeah. from you're saying that you don't want to go down that road either. It sounds like. But what about yeah. your membership? What if they are saying, "Come on, we just want to get going." If and why are you not pushing back? You know, you represent us. Why are you, you know in Kelowna? We're now we're suffering again. Why you know? C- c- come on, Jeff, yeah, work, work for us, first, buddy. <laughs> no, the frustration we're hearing from our from the folks in Kelowna, they're like, well. You know, in the lower mainland, we were able to get priority access to vaccines mm-hmm. for folks in the hospitality sector. So they're saying, you know, why don't we have, you know, some dedicated, you know, vaccination efforts that you know, we can come in, we can even to the workplace or bring a van, uh, a series of like vaccination vans into, you know, the, the convenient areas and, and focus on getting the staff vaccinated, right? And that'll mm-hmm. protect us. Um, and then our frustration isn't that, you know, I, I should be pushing one way or the other on this. I mean, these are public health uh, decisions, right? This is not not appropriate that an industry association or that an individual business would have any idea about the numbers Dr. Henry's looking at. So we, mm-hmm. we can't make that determination. But 
Um, but if we're saying the problem is not enough people are vaccinated, I mean, that, that's frustrating for us. I mean, why would you come into a bar or establishment if you are potentially putting yourself and everybody else who visits that place or who works there at risk? That, that's where our frustration comes from. Yeah, there's sometimes it's it's defiant. It's in, on purpose. They're, they're, you know, they might be doing that for reasons that you can't get behind. Oh, we've We've seen those cases, and we we have no patience for that as an industry association or as an industry. I know, but then, right? I mean, yeah, but see, that's the challenge that, I, that you know, if you look at the mask situation. So, if you're in a small retail store, and I brought this up with Dr. Henry, uh, mm-hmm. my daughter works in a shoe store. They have a rule: no, you have to wear a mask when you're in there. She's in her twenties. You know, she's now had her second shot, but some of the other staff haven't had their second shot, so they're vulnerable, um, mm-hmm. and they're being asked, you know, they're, to mandate, you know, to to manage and police this mask thing, which they can see. Uh, but they still get a lot of people coming in saying, I'm not going to wear a mask. I don't have to wear a mask. And they have to, you know, fight these people. And it's not something you want to be put into a situation. Bars, I assume, are pretty good at managing crowds. I mean, and managing yeah. people's expectations. There, Maybe it's a tougher industry than, than a shoe store. But uh, is that why you feel more confident that you guys can manage this process? Well, we feel confident because we have been managing it throughout the pandemic, right? I mean, we've been operating throughout you know, the last 18 months with the most stringent public health protocols ever issued in this province, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why even prior to vaccination, uh, we've had some of the lowest rates of transmission coming from the hospitality sector compared to other sectors. I mean, it's just, we're, we're experienced at this now. Um, but our frustration when you ask us to do it voluntarily and don't give people uh, clear guidance on it is what do we tell a customer who comes mm-hmm. in and say, we, we want you to do this uh, and, you know, to come into our business, but then the customer can just lie or show something fake or they say, well, Dr. Henry hasn't ordered me. And then we've got you know, a young hostess or host at the front of an establishment arguing with a customer now about something that the customer's kind of right about. So if that's what Dr. Henry wants, and we want to have an indoor mask mandate again, then we should return to that, right? Or if they want mm-hmm. us to do it, she should be very clear about it instead of musing. And signaling out a place like nightclubs, I mean, it, it feels unfair to us. I mean, there, there are only a few of them open in the province right now anyway, because you can't dance, you have to sit down, you have to have your segmented mm-hmm. group. We're not allowing a couple people to go to the bars. Um, and there's been a couple of cases, but most of those cases, if you look at it, were right after nightclubs opened, and it was the patrons who were just refused to follow the rules, right? right. So it took us a few weeks to figure it out, uh, but we've ended up in a spot now where we've got the right protocols in place, and I, I wouldn't anticipate uh, significant sources of upward coming from there. Uh, 